Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thank you. How's it going, everybody? Good to see you this morning. I'm so glad to be here, and uh, it's an honor to get to just communicate the Word of God with you this morning, and uh, I know I know some of your faces, some of you ladies I've gotten to meet before in different venues, and so um, I'm just honored to be here. I love that Pastor John and Chris are actually taking a mini sabbatical. Um, It's good for pastors to step away and to rest and to be refreshed and to allow the Spirit of God to fill them up for what is next, and so I'm just so glad that they're taking this time, and I just want to thank you for being the kind of church that supports your pastors and encourages your pastors to be refreshed and refueled and that there's something about that. So thank you for being those kind of people. Thank you for carrying the weight while they've been gone. Um, Pastor John and Chris have become some of my husbands and my dearest friends over the past 10 years. We love them. And so I just want to take a minute before I dive into a message and just give honor where honors due. because can I just tell you, you guys are being led by some of the most authentic, um, amazing individuals that I know. They are great pastors. And um, it is, it's an honor to stand here and to even try to fill their shoes um, because they are just the real deal. And so you guys are blessed. Um, there's something really beautiful that's happening here at Pacific Point Church. And so I'm honored to be a part of it. Um, I know I don't know all of you. So let me just give you a quick introduction and we're going to dive into the message today. My name is Megan. My husband, Carrie, and I pastor the Movement Church. Um, We are a little bit south of here. Our church meets in Laguna Hills High School, so it is not nearly as beautiful as this room that you are meeting in. We try to transform it, but uh, I don't have the same skill that Chris has. This is stunning. Um, But we pastor there. Our church will be 11 years old in September, and uh, we have two girls, 19 and 14, and so I'm kind of in that season of parenting and um, loving what we get to do, loving getting to build the church in Orange County, and I'm excited about what God's up to. So I I was just praying, God, what do you want to say to Pacific Point Church today? And so I'm going to dive into a message, and I would just encourage you, I don't know how you normally come to church, but here's what I do know, is that expectation is the atmosphere for miracles. So I would really challenge you not to show up to church just out of routine, just out of check the box, I did my good deed for the week, but to show up actually going, God, what do you want to say to me today? What's the thing that you want to do in my life today? Because God's here, and he's present, and he's available for you. And all around this room, we've got different stories that are represented, so many of you in different seasons of life. And so everyone here has something specific that you're walking through, something specific that you're praying and asking God to do, something maybe you're not even praying about because you don't even know how to do that yet. You're just kind of wishing and wanting. And so whatever season you're in, I just want you to know this is a good place for you to be. And if you're here and you're just wrestling with faith, you're not sure what you believe, Permission to belong before you believe. This is a good space for you to be in. But if you're here and you call yourself a Christ follower, can I challenge you? Don't just check the box today. I showed up. I did church. No, actually, let's get ready for what God wants to do and say, God, would you speak to me today? Can we do that? I'm going to be reading to you out of uh, the scripture. The, The scripture that's on my heart today that starts out this message is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 4. And it says this, from of old... No one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. See, the prophet Isaiah is taking a moment right here to remind the people of God. So can I just say that this room is full of the people of God. So this word isn't a word from a good book. The word of God says that the, the, the word of God, I'm pointing to my iPad, it's not a Bible, but there is a Bible in it. It's, a, it's an app. The word of God is living and active. 
active. It's more powerful than a double-edged sword, has the ability to divide soul and spirit. The word of God is living and active, applicable for you and me today. So might I just say that when we read the scripture, this isn't just a good book and a good story that we look back to. This is something that we actually pause and we say, this is a word from God for me today. So it's important to stop here and go, there's a God in heaven who acts for those who wait for him. The prophet Isaiah was talking to the people of God who were actually in the middle of some crisis. They were struggling. They were praying for God to show up. They had situations that they were facing in their life that they were overwhelmed by. And the prophet Isaiah is saying, hey, listen, let's not forget that there is a God in heaven who acts on your behalf. The Lord God Almighty. So in a moment when they were crying out for help, he's saying, no, let's remember God is a God of action. And I love this because there's a corresponding scripture in the New Testament. So if we skip forward to the New Testament and we look at 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says this. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You need to know, whatever season of life you're in, God has good plans for you. We know this because all throughout scripture, God reminds us of this. We know this because there's a scripture in Ephesians that says you are God's workmanship. You're you're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. God has good plans for you. He's got great things in store for you, but I promise you, it is beyond your wildest imagination. I make great plans, you make great plans, God has better plans, and he's intricately involved in the details of our life. So if I was to give a title to my message today, if you're taking notes, which is a great thing to do in church, by the way, can I just tell you, if you write things down, you'll actually remember it, and there might be one thing that sticks out to you, and you just write it down, and then throughout the week, you think about it. That's how we take the word, and we apply it to our life during the week, and every single person in this room probably has a smartphone, so if you don't use a pen and paper, you can take some notes in the notepad on your phone. But the title of my message is, God of Action, People of Stillness. God of Action, People of Stillness. Let me pray and we'll dive in. Jesus, God, we invite you here. God, we showed up today not just to check the box, but God, we showed up today to hear from you. So God, I just pray in the mighty name of Jesus for every single individual in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, God, I pray in Jesus' name that there would not be anything about the words that I speak, but God, that the word that you want to speak to every single person in this room would be so very clear. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit at work in this place. God, we just submit this time to you. We submit our hearts to you. God, we posture our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That just means I agree. For those of you that wonder why we say that in church, it just means I agree. I'm in it too. You know, my family uh, takes a vacation every July. Anybody vacation during summer? Do I have any vacationers? Only like three of you? Are you just lying? Do you not know how to raise your hand in church? Also, this is comical to me because John must spit when he preaches. I've I've decided that that must be the reason that none of you are sitting in the front row. So I'm going to tell him to get that under control so y'all can move up and get a little bit closer next time. How many of you take vacations? Okay. My family loves to vacation, and one of our favorite places over the years has been going to Mexico. We have this all-inclusive resort, which can I just tell you, those are miraculous, because you show up and you actually don't have to think about anything. You don't have to calculate the budget, you don't have to make a plan for dinner, you don't have to do anything. It's all done for you, so I love that. And we have this favorite resort that we like to go to in Mexico, and um, as the kids have gotten older, it's gotten easier. So for those of you with young kids, can I just tell you, you don't actually take vacations. You take trips. Like trips are great, but vacations are when you get to like, (sighs) relax. If you have little kids, you know you're not relaxing. All the people that are out in the the family room right now, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, 
But we like to vacation. And my kids have gotten older, so it's kind of gotten exciting to go to this resort in Mexico because they can do their own thing. They go and they do the wave pool and the slides and the, the swimming pools. And me, I get to just sit on the beach and read and kick back and try to get a tan, but I really only get freckles. That's all I've got going for me, and that's okay. But I love to vacation. So my family, when we go out there and we're spending time together, we're all spread out in different areas. So we have just had this tradition of a place where we meet up to hang out. And it's one of our favorite places at the resort. It's the Lazy River. Anybody love a good Lazy River? That got a hand clap. My goodness. I love a good Lazy River experience, right? And so we would meet up with our kids at the Lazy River, and, and there's just something amazing about it. You just grab your float, and you jump in, and you flop into the float, and you just rest. You just float. There's something, there's something so effortless about floating, so beautiful. I think floating gets harder as we get older. Have any of you tried to float recently? It's very challenging. It's very easy as a child. My husband and I, this is a real side note, not in my notes. We went on a, a trip for our anniversary and where we were staying, there was this little like two foot pool. I mean, two feet of water. It's probably bigger than my hands, but, you know, you're following. And I was like, I can float in this. So I got in the two feet of water, and I proceeded to just, like, live in just such peace as I floated there because my legs couldn't sink there. It was only two feet deep. So floating, there's something beautiful about floating. It just is relaxing, and so that's something about the, the lazy river that is so amazing. But I've got to be honest with you. Oftentimes, the lazy river is not fast enough for me. Anybody in the room? Like, the lazy river is just not fast enough for me. Sometimes I get really impatient because you're stuck on this river and it takes forever to get all the way back around to the exit again. And so I have been known to be the kind of person that's like, like, yeah, jump out of the float and swim or I'm just paddling as fast as I can to get it moving faster. It's like when you go to the airport and they have those long conveyor belts. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't believe those conveyor belts were made to stand on. Some of you may, and you might be annoyed by people like me, but those conveyor belts are just meant so you can walk faster, right? That's the whole point of them. We don't stand on them, we walk on them. And so that's how I feel about the lazy river. I kind of just get caught up and impatient with the, like, let's get this show on the road. But the problem with that is when I start paddling, when I start trying to make the lazy river go a little bit faster, what always inevitably happens is I come up on a group of people that are in front of me, and then my feet are touching their feet, and that's just awkward and weird, and it's uncomfortable, and it's like I'm way too close to these strangers that I don't know in the lazy river right now. I know you know what I'm talking about, and, and that's just my problem because I get so impatient, and then I end up in a traffic jam, and there wouldn't actually be a traffic jam if I just patiently floated and waited to get to my destination, if I would just pick up my feet and let the water do what it was supposed to do, I could rest at ease. Isaiah 64, 4, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You're probably like, why in the world are you telling me a story about the lazy river? Well, because I want to give you a couple thoughts today. And the first one is this. Chill out. Look at your neighbor and say, chill out. Oh, come on, participate with me. Tell somebody else, chill out. Hey, listen. I know I have some friends in the room. Some of you are like me. Some of you actually need to learn what it looks like to relax. Hey, God is in control of your destiny. He has good plans for you. He's in control of the details of your life. The Bible tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. He's in control. The Bible tells us he's a God of action, and there's nobody like him. His plans for us are trustworthy. But our problem is sometimes we get in such a hurry because sitting back and relaxing is not in our nature. It's not in our nature to just trust God and be like, Okay, God, I trust you with my future. What's in our nature is to try to plan and problem solve and come up with our own solutions. Do I have any friends in the room? <laughs> I'm, I'm 
I'm a great problem solver. And in fact, I think I'm a great planner. Do I have any planners? I make really good plans. Now, God doesn't always go along with my plans, and I don't understand why, but I feel like I make great plans. But I have found that so many times our problem, our stress, and our anxiety is created because we haven't learned how to just chill out and trust God. We haven't learned to pray first. We plan first. We make good plans, and we think that our plans are the way that God should work things out for us. You know, when my husband and I moved to California to start our church, the Movement Church, we, um, we took a giant leap of faith. We moved out to Orange County with really not knowing anyone, just feeling a call from God that this is where we were supposed to be to plant this church. And so we really only had, like, what we had. Our church back home funded us for about a year, and, and we, we took this giant leap of faith. But all of you who live here know California is expensive. And we were, like, struggling to stay afloat as we were planting this church. We were buying groceries on credit cards, which I don't recommend to anybody. But that's how we were living. And we were coming up on the month of December. And here's the thing. I am a Christmas girl. I am like Buddy the Elf. I love everything about Christmas. And it is so important to me to make Christmas incredible for my kids. It always has been. And we're coming up on Christmas, and we're church planters, and we don't have any money. And I... I was like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And so I did what I'm good at doing. I started making plans. I started problem solving. And I came up with this brilliant idea that I didn't tell anyone about because I didn't want them to talk me out of it. And I took my grandma's ring that my mom had given me, and I went to three, yeah, I know. Don't tell my mom I haven't told her yet. I went to three different pawn shops. And I just started looking to see how much money I could get so I could make Christmas special for my kids. I ended up meeting with a lady in Burger King, you guys. I don't even know who goes to Burger King. <laughs> but I did with a and I sold it. And, and I got $400. But I was so excited. I can do a lot with $400. I can make Christmas awesome. So I was really excited that my problem solving and my planning had worked. But guess what happened? About a week later, I went out to the mailbox and I opened the mailbox and inside there was a letter addressed to my husband and myself. And I opened it up and it was from a pastor in Alabama. And the pastor in Alabama wrote this letter to us and it said, Carrie and Megan, I'm so proud of you. It takes a lot of faith and courage to start a church. I know how hard it is. We know how challenging it can be financially. And so we're sending you this check, and it's not for your church. This is for your family. We want you to celebrate Christmas. And I began to open it up and look at the check, and it was $2,500. That check was in the mail before I came up with my brilliant plan. And I just think that all of us are guilty of facing crisis, facing problems, being overwhelmed, being stressed out, and we go into problem solving and planning mode, and instead of praying first, we plan first. And I'm just here to tell you there's something powerful about pausing and resting and saying, God, you are in control. I trust you. What do you want to do in this situation for me? You know, some of you showed up to church this morning and you're stressed out and you're tired and you're exhausted because you're just trying to control everything. There's people in this room who you've made accomplishing an idol. It's like you've got to do the next thing and be the next thing in order to feel like you're worthy. You're hustling for your worthiness and it's exhausting. There's some of you in here who just, you really do believe you have a better idea of how all this should be working. Some of you are looking for validation in what you do and not who God says you are. But Isaiah reminds us, there's no one like our God who acts for those who wait for him. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament, and it's about a king named Jehoshaphat. 
And one of the reasons we hear a lot about King Jehoshaphat is because he was one of the only kings that was a good king in the Old Testament. If you're familiar at all with the Bible and the Old Testament, you would know that there's this whole season with the Israelite nation where they just go back and forth between terrible kings who do evil in the sight of God, and then maybe there's one good king, and then back to the terrible kings, and the people are just falling apart. Well, Jehoshaphat, he's a good king. He does good in the sight of God, and so we hear a lot about him in the scripture, so I think it's important to pause and know that fact going into this. He is someone that is known for following God. So we're going to pick up in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 through 4, and it says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat in battle. Some men came and they told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Listen, I know these are words that you don't know, but here's the idea. The, the ites throughout scripture, all of the ites were always the bad guys. They were always attacking the people of God all throughout the Old Testament. And that's what we're facing right here. Opposition is coming against Jehoshaphat and the people of God. And it says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. What we find here is the ites are out against the people of God. And it's so interesting to me because every single one of us in this room, we can understand what this feels like. Because all of us have been in a place where we faced opposition, right? Every one of us has been in a place where we faced opposition. Sometimes it's relational. It's with people that we do life with. Sometimes it's situational, losing a job, maybe a financial burden. Whatever the thing is, all of us know what opposition feels like, and it feels overwhelming, and often it comes from every direction. You know that phrase, when it rains, it pours? Don't you just think, like, every time I'm facing problems in my life, it seems like it's coming from every single direction, and that's where they're at. They've got the ites coming from every direction, and I had never caught this before, but did you hear one of them that was listed? The me-unites. And I just thought, the me-unites. How often are we our own worst enemy? The negative thoughts that we think, the self-deprecating thoughts, our own selfishness. Can I step on or tiptoe around a word that's really popular these days, our own self-care? Self-care is a great thing because God's entrusted us to take care of our body, soul, and spirit, the one life that he's given us to live. But self-care becomes very selfish when it's only me-focused. So here we are. And Jehoshaphat is facing some major opposition. And maybe you're in the room right now and you can relate to that. Maybe you're up against something that's challenging. You don't know what to do. You don't actually know how to pray. The problem can't be solved in your own strength and you're feeling overwhelmed by it. And here Jehoshaphat is too. Says he was afraid. It's normal to feel fear. It's normal to have worry, try to set in. And he was afraid, but it says here's what he did. He didn't go into planning mode. He didn't go into problem solving mode. It says he prayed first. And he brought the people of God together to seek the Lord. And it says in verse 5, and Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation and in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? What Jehoshaphat is doing here is he's citing precedents. He's saying, God, you've done this before. You've defeated these enemies before. You are capable of doing this. Can you not do it again? He says, and they've lived here and they've built for you a sanctuary with your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and you will save. What Jehoshaphat is doing with the people of God is he's teaching them how to rehearse their trust in a God of action. But he says, now here's the problem. The men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir 
who you, you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. He's saying, hey, the enemy out there is coming, trying to rob us from the future that you have for us. God, this is the situation that we're facing. And he says, oh God, would you not execute judgment on them? Because we're powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. I love this line. Maybe it's something you need today. Jehoshaphat says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat, he admits, I don't know what to do. Have you ever been in a place where you felt it? Like, I don't know what to do. But it takes it actually takes great humility to say that out loud. Because I think sometimes we want to feel like we can figure it out. We want to feel like we, we have the answers. But Jehoshaphat is filled with humility. The Bible tells us in James, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And here we find Jehoshaphat actually recognizing, here I am, I'm weak. But when I'm weak, God, I know that you're strong. Continues on in verse 13 through 17, and I'm just going to paraphrase for you because it's a long portion of scripture, but it's basically saying that all the people of God came together with their wives and their children, and, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon, it says, Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, and it starts just listing off the lineage of prophets. But ultimately what happens is God speaks to one of the prophets, and the prophet says, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because of this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but it's God. Tomorrow we go down against them, and behold, they will come up. They're going to come and fight you. But listen, this is the word from God for the people of Israel, and I think it's the word of God for us. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord your God will be with you. The second thing I'd want you to remember today is this. Stand still. So chill out. Relax. Stop trying to do everything in your own strength. Stop thinking that you're strong enough you're not. Just chill out. God's a God of action. He's going to act on your behalf. But the second thing I want you to hear is this stand still. Stand firm. Hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord. There's some people that are here today, and you've been feeling restless. You've been feeling stressed out in the face of opposition. If you are honest with yourself today, you don't have the answers, and you don't know exactly what to do. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe you've got kids, grown kids, that you're just worried about. You've prayed for, you're believing that God's going to do something in their life, but they're just going the wrong direction, and you just are like scrambling, trying to figure out what you could do different. You know what it feels like to be like, I don't know what to do. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's in your, your workplace. Maybe it's some of the people that you interact with on a daily basis. Maybe it's with a boss. Maybe you're facing a layoff. I don't know what the situation is for you, but we know what it feels like to be in a position where I don't know what to do. And sometimes we get in that place and it makes us feel squirrely, like anxious, nervous, just stressed out. My daughter Avery plays club volleyball and she um, has this telltale sign when the other team is doing a really good job and she's starting to get nervous. She does this. She's on the court in position, but her hands are moving like this. And I asked her, Avery, what are you doing with your hands? And she's like, I don't know. I think I'm nervous. I'm like, yeah. And some of us are walking through life like that. Maybe physically, people don't see it on the outside, but on the inside, you're walking around like, like I don't know how it's all going to work out. Many of you are looking for someone or something to blame because you don't like the fact that this situation is going on. And if you have someone to blame, then you have someone to be angry at. So many of us find ourselves in this position. So what does Jehoshaphat do when opposition comes, when he doesn't know what to do, when he's feeling a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit nervous? What does he do? He gets the people of God together to seek the face of God, to worship and to pray. 
Can I tell you there is something so amazing about worship? Hey, when you show up to church on a Sunday morning, it's not to stand in your seat and listen to someone sing with a great voice. That's not the reason that we worship. I don't know if you know that or not. But the reason that we worship is because the Bible tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. We enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. That is how we worship Jesus. We come into his presence through a time of worship. Why? Because we're singing songs that remind us how good God is. We sang a song this morning about the blood of Jesus. And I think sometimes as the church, we just get so in the rhythm of walking through the motions that we forget why we're actually here. The reason people lift their hands is not because they're asking questions. They're actually posturing their heart to say, God, I need you. I don't know what to do. I need you. It's a sign of surrender. But yet we come in and we just... It's a few more minutes. We sip on our coffee. We eat our donut. You're missing a moment. Because worship brings us into the presence of God. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy. In the middle of opposition, when we're feeling stressed, when we don't know what to do, when we actually open our mouth and begin to sing the words of songs that remind us who God is and how good he is, how faithful he is, what he's done for us, it shifts our perspective off of our problems and onto our God, our God of action, who's capable of acting for those who wait for him. I just got to encourage you, be in church. There's something about gathering together with the people of God and worshiping God. Can I also just tell you another act of worship? I get to do this because I'm a guest speaker, and Pastor John and Chris told me I could preach on anything, so I won't be back. So this is great. Hey, can I challenge you? Another act of worship is actually bringing your tithe, returning it. The Bible gives us instruction on how to live our life every way every question you could ever have there's an answer for you in the word of god i promise it's a playbook if you've got a football team that is out on a field playing football i can guarantee you they've learned the plays from a playbook the word of god is a playbook for us to know how to live our life and some of you the opposition that you're facing right now is you're facing some tremendous financial pressure You're in the middle of big decisions. You don't know what to do, and it is crazy for you. And so the temptation is, well, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to make a plan because I need this. But the Word of God says to steward our finances in a way where we actually return the first part to God because it's His. It's not mine. It's His. So technically, if I hold on to it because I think that's a better plan, I'm robbing God. I'm keeping what's his. And can I just tell you, there's something beautiful about saying, God, I trust you. I may not understand it. I may not know how it's all going to work out. I don't have a clue. But God, I trust you. So here we have Jehoshaphat and, and all of his people, the people of God, are standing there and they've heard the word from God and they're facing this opposition. And they begin to watch as God causes the armies that are coming against them to turn on themselves, to destroy one another. And what happens, just fast-forwarding and not reading you the scripture, this is the Megan paraphrase, but what happens is when the surrounding nations hear about what the God of Israel did for the people of Israel, they're like, we better not touch them. And all opposition begins to cease. The scripture tells us that Jehoshaphat's reign was quiet and full of peace because God gave them rest. He's a God of action. We're a people of stillness. Psalm 4610 is a scripture that I think many of us have heard. I love. In fact, I've applied it so many times in my life when I've been trying to quiet my own soul. And it says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. 
But listen, church, this is a great verse, and you can apply it to yourself personally. Because all throughout Scripture, we're reminded of what it looks like to be still and to trust God, to rest in who he is, to remind ourselves he's a God of action. But this Scripture isn't actually talking to you and me. Did you know that? This Scripture is actually God speaking to the enemy. Be still. It's like a mom hand clap. How many of you have the mom hand clap down? I know that we live in the age of gentle parenting, and I would just, uh, I won't go there today. Actually, I might, because I might not come back, so it's great. Hey, maybe just find some parents who've raised some awesome, incredible kids who love God and love the church, and get some parenting insight from them rather than someone who just has a three-year-old. Just a thought. Just a thought. I digress. I'm coming back. It's a hand clap moment. It's God speaking to the enemy. Be still. It's like when a mom has to get their kid's attention. They're about to run out into the street and get hit by a car. Hey, be still. It's a hand clap moment. And God's saying that to the enemy. No, you're not going to touch my people. Absolutely not. Get your hands off of them. Be still. Know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. This is the kind of God that acts on behalf of those who wait for him. This is the kind of God that fights your battles for you. And that's what this scripture is illuminating for us. God will fight your battles for you. It's the same word that is used in the New Testament when Jesus is asleep on the boat and the disciples are panicking because a storm has broke loose and the wind and the waves are raging against the boat and the disciples are scared and they wake Jesus up and he stands up and he says, be still. And I'm here to tell you that there's a God in heaven who will act on your behalf in the face of opposition, in the face of stress, when you're overwhelmed and you don't know what to do, you can wait on a God who has the authority to silence the wind and the waves. When your marriage is overwhelming, when you feel like you don't have the strength to stay in it, When your job feels scary because layoffs are happening and, and you're trying to make a plan for what you're going to do and where you're going to apply and who you're going to network with because you're trying to problem solve instead of actually praying first, you're planning first. If you're dealing with financial just struggles and you're overwhelmed, you have a God who acts on your behalf. Can I just ask you a question, church? What are some of the prayers that you've stopped praying because you're tired of waiting? I think sometimes we get there. We serve a God in heaven who acts for those who wait for him, but how many of you like to wait? I don't. It's why I walk and run on the conveyor belt in the airport. It's why I paddle, paddle, paddle in the lazy river. I hate waiting. I hate waiting for anything. But it's like the story of my life. Romans 8, 24 through 25 in the message paraphrase talks to us about waiting. And it says, that's why waiting does not diminish us. Any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We're enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become. And the more joyful our expectancy. There's something powerful about waiting on God. I love this passage. It continues on and it says, but listen, the moment you get tired in the waiting, which we all do, the spirit of God will come alongside of you and will help you. Because in the waiting process, we're enlarged. Our expectation grows. It's like a pregnant woman. You guys, if you haven't been one, you've seen one. They're enlarged, in the, right here, right here in the back. They're enlarged in the waiting. And you can't see what's happening, but it's preparation for something that is coming, right? And if you've ever known a pregnant woman, how many of you have known a pregnant woman? How many of you have been a pregnant woman? How many of you have been married to a pregnant woman? At any point in your life, okay, you know what I'm talking about here. There's something that happens during pregnancy for every single woman. It's called nesting. You guys, it's a real thing. 
It is a real thing. This is where a woman gets so ready to have everything prepared for the baby that's coming. Got to get the room finished, got to paint the walls, got to have the clothes hung up in the closet. All the details need to be taken care of. It's called nesting. Why? Because we don't actually just sit around and wait for the baby to show up. We make preparation for the promise. We make preparation for the promise. And some of you need to get that word in your spirit today because you've actually just gotten really exhausted in the waiting. Actually praying some prayers where you feel like God hasn't shown up on your timetable yet. And so you've just stopped praying those prayers because it's been discouraging to you. And I'm just encouraging you that in the waiting process, God is enlarging you. And you cannot see what's enlarging you. But in the end, God has something really miraculous he wants to do in your life if you'll just wait on him. But waiting is not a passive verb. Waiting is an active verb. It's like a mother who's nesting, getting preparations made for the promise. We got to get expectant. We've got to wait actively. Isaiah 41 says this, or 40, 31 says this, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Some of you just feel like you've lost all strength, but I just want to remind you that those who wait He'll renew your strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. You know, the Hebrew word that's used here in the scripture for wait upon the Lord is the word kava, which means to tie together by twisting, to entwine, to wrap tightly. And it's this beautiful picture of waiting on God as something that's not passive, it's active. It's entwining our hearts with him and his purpose. It's this eyes on Jesus, expectation raised, faith that he will. He's a God of action. You know, Gary Preston tells a story in his book, Character Forged from Conflict. And I think it's the perfect illustration of how you and I are to wait. Says this, back when the telegraph was the fastest means of a long distance communication, there's a story about a young man who applied for a job as a Morse code operator. Answering an ad in the newspaper, he went to the address that was listed. When he arrived, he entered a large noisy office. In the background, a telegraph clacked away. A sign at the receptionist counter instructed that job applicants to fill out a form and wait until they were summoned to enter the inner office. The young man completed his form, and he sat down with seven other waiting applicants. After a few minutes, the young man stood up, crossed the room to the door of the inner office, and he walked right in. Naturally, the other applicants perked up wondering, what's going on? Why had this man been so bold? They muttered and talked amongst themselves because they hadn't heard a summons yet. They took more than a little satisfaction in assuming that the young man who went into the office would be reprimanded for his presumption and summarily, I can't speak, and disqualified for the job. <laughs> Within a few minutes, the young man emerged from the inner office escorted by the interviewer who announced to the other applicants, gentlemen, Thank you very much for coming, but the job has been filled by this young man. The other applicants began to grumble, and one spoke up, wait a minute, I don't understand. He was the last one to come in, and we never even got a chance to be interviewed, yet he got the job? That is not fair. And the employer responded, hey, the whole time you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. None of you heard it or understood it. This young man did. So the job is his. The young man got the job because he was not just waiting. All of the other applicants were waiting, but he was waiting expectantly. Every single one of us in the room today might be sitting in a waiting room, waiting for something, believing for something, trying to trust God, trying to hold on to faith for something. But it's how we wait. It's what we do in the waiting. 
that's important. The young man in the office that day, he was listening. And because he was, he was rewarded. Waiting doesn't mean just sitting and doing nothing, you guys. It doesn't mean just sitting and doing nothing. It means waiting with expectation. I love the scripture in Psalm 135 through 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. What if this could be our posture? There's not an individual in this room today that hasn't faced opposition or may not be in the middle of it right now. And I don't know what part of the message was for you today. Maybe you need to chill out. Maybe you've just been trying to make everything happen and you've been frustrated because you keep coming up against obstacle, against obstacle, against obstacle. And maybe you just need to chill out and remind yourself that he is God. His ways are higher than your, your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You may make great plans. I believe you do. You all look like amazing people. You look like smart and educated people. You probably make brilliant plans. But God's ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. And I'm just telling you, maybe you came to church this morning because you need to be reminded to settle down. You're stressed out and you're overwhelmed and you're feeling the pressure and the anxiety for the situation that you're walking through because you're trying to solve it on your own. And maybe you're here and you just needed to hear the word stand still. Maybe you need to remind yourself what it looks like to trust God, to worship him, to get in his presence, to remind yourself what the word of God says and to hold on to it. Maybe you needed to be reminded to wait actively because you've just been kind of kicked back and relaxed. You're frustrated, you're overwhelmed, but you're like, it is what it is. And faith says it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. God is always working in our waiting. And I just want to challenge you to get expectant, to actually raise the level of your expectation. God is capable of moving on your behalf. You're his child. He loves you. He cares about the details of your life. And here's what I know about the nature of who God is. He won't disappoint you. He won't disappoint you. So wherever you're at today, I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to just pray for you. But I'm going to, before I do that, just give you an opportunity. You know, it's an honor to teach the word of God. But I never want to walk into a church and, um, and just assume that everyone who's here has made a decision to actually follow Jesus. You see, it's one thing to hear the word, but you have to actually apply it to your life. And there's a starting point with God. The beautiful gift is, if you're here and you're wrestling with your faith and you haven't been sure what you believe, you don't actually have to get your life perfect before you come to God. You get to journey that out with Jesus. But there is a starting point to a relationship with him. And it comes by saying, God, I surrender to you. It comes by acknowledging that I've been trying to do things on my own, but I need to surrender my life and my plan and my will to a God in heaven who cares more about the details of my life than I do. And I know he cares about the details of your life because he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for your sins and for mine. Every one of us is a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God had a solution to be in relationship with us because he didn't want us to have to do this life alone, and he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin. And salvation is really just a decision to say, God, I surrender. And maybe you're here and you've never made that decision before, and I want to give you an opportunity right now. And maybe you're here and you, if you were honest, you've just been running from God. And I just, today's the day to come back. So I'm just going to ask everyone in this room for just a moment. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. Just make this a private moment between you and the Lord. If you're here and you need to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm just going to ask you in the quietness and stillness of your own heart just to pray a prayer with me. You don't have to pray out loud. Just make it personal. If that's you, would you just say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me. Thank you for choosing me. 
Thank you for sending your son Jesus for me. Today I'm making a decision to follow you. And all around this room, if that's you, would you just let these words be your own? Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye still closed. Nobody looking around. I'm just going to ask you. That's just a step of faith. If that's you and you prayed that prayer with me today, it's one of my greatest joys of being a pastor. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you just as an act of faith, when I count to three, slip your hand up and slip it right down. Nobody's looking around. But if that's you, would you do that for me on the count of three? Are you ready? One, two, three. Awesome. I see those hands all around the room. Awesome. Awesome. Let me pray for all of us. Jesus, God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place today. God, I thank you that you're good. God, you've been so faithful. God, we just pause in this moment. God, every man, woman, teenager in this room, God, we, we all pause. And God, we just acknowledge that, God, you, you have been good. God, we might be in the middle of facing some major opposition, but God, we just rehearse our trust in you. God, I know you're trustworthy. I know that you can and you will act on my behalf. So God, I pray for every person who's just been overwhelmed with stress and anxiety, with worry and fear. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that today you would fill them with peace. God, I pray that they would know that you are with them, that they're not walking through this alone. God, I pray that you would give them the courage, God, to, to trust you to stand still, to stand firm. God, to stop trying to plan everything on their own, but to actually go to you and say, God, what do you want to do? God, I pray you'd give them ears to hear your voice. God, as we wait for you, God, I pray you'd give them ears to hear your voice so that they would have the answers that they're looking for. God, I thank you that your word says that we don't have to look or stray to the right or to the left, but we'll hear a voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. So God, for every individual here who's in the middle of some big decisions, God, I pray that you'd give them wisdom and clarity. God, I pray that they would hear your voice. God, I pray that they would rest in the fact that they can trust you. I thank you for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, we're gonna close today, as I think you do around here a lot, just giving you a time to, to worship and just reflect on what God's been speaking to you. There's communion stations that are set up around the room. And if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, that's the only prerequisite for taking communion. And I would just encourage you as you stop by one of the stations, just to take a minute and just check your heart. That's what the scripture tells us. It's just take a minute and like David prayed, God, see if there be any wicked way in me. And I just take a moment. Maybe you've been striving. Maybe you've been trying to do things on your own. Maybe you've been allowing stress and worry and anxiety to dominate your life. And you just need to take a moment of surrender where you say, God, I'm going to choose today to lay it down and to trust you. Maybe that's where you're at. So as we take the next few moments together, can I just encourage you just to be introspective? Take a moment between you and God and, and we'll dismiss in just a moment. But why don't you just say, God, what do you want to do in my life today? Because he's good and he's here and he's speaking. Amen? Amen.